Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we wander through the world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories with David Campbell, including Infinity Exits Australia and the latest on the Takata airbag recall. We chat with Rob Fraser on two subjects. Firstly, how we should go about towing, particularly if you're moving up from a smaller camper van to a caravan. And we also discuss a driving in the conservative-looking beige Camry, but nonetheless one with modern technology. And we have a quirky news item with Brian Smith. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or our Facebook site is Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. Infinity Nissan's luxury auto brand has confirmed it will be pulling out of the Australian and New Zealand markets. The decision to drop Australia and New Zealand is the latest of a number of steps taken this year towards what has been called centralisation. In May, the company located its head office from Hong Kong back to Nissan headquarters in Yokohama in Japan. In March, Infinity said it would discontinue the Q30 and the QX30 models cease production at Nissan's plant in England and exit business in Western Europe. It also said it would sharpen global operations in North America where sales have fallen and China while continuing to seek growth opportunities in Eastern Europe, the Middle East and Asia. Infinity Cars Australia Global Communications Director explained the decision as being part of this global strategic plan that Infinity is rolling out. The first stage was Western Europe and Australia has been part of the second stage. The company's focus is currently focused on North America and China. Mazda and other high-volume Japanese car brands in Australia are currently leading the industry in terms of completion rates for the compulsory Takata airbag recall. But a huge amount of work is still to be done, with more than 600,000 potentially lethal airbags remaining in more than half a million vehicles as of the end of June this year. The affected car companies are legally required to replace all defective airbags as soon as possible ahead of the December 31, 2020 deadline. This can be varied through an application to the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC. General Motors Holden has the highest number of cars still to be rectified, about 115,000 of them, after already replacing the airbags in 63% of the total lion-badged vehicles that are affected. Toyota has fixed 83% of its problem vehicles, but still has over 90,000 vehicles to tackle. In comparison, Mazda has fixed 94% of its vehicles, Honda 92%, and Mitsubishi 91%. President Trump's trade war with China could backfire and cost thousands of US jobs, according to finance analysts. The current tariff on U.S. cars exported to China is 15%, but that will jump to 40% in December. China is the world's biggest car market, with 28 million cars and light commercial vehicles sold there last year, far ahead of America with 20 million sales. 
230,000 US-built cars are exported to China annually, and these are now at risk, along with thousands of US jobs in the car manufacturing industry. Tesla, which is expected to sell about 45,000 cars in China in the coming year, faces a $620 million bill from the increased tariffs. However, Elon Musk's electric car company is building a plant in Shanghai which will allow it to dodge tariffs when it opens next year. Time will tell if President Trump's trade war will adversely affect the Chinese car industry or America's. In lifting the lid on its new electric vehicle platform, Mazda has also provided a much greater insight into the key role its iconic rotary engine will play in the future of electrified models. The Japanese carmaker recently previewed a technology prove-out vehicle prototype of the pure electric model it plans to launch next year. This new EV platform will also provide the base for a number of new plug-in hybrid models that will resurrect rotary power for the brand's production cars. Combining rotary and electric power has been a long-term project of Mazda's. The rotary engine has many advantages for EV applications. It's light, quiet and works especially when running at a constant speed. It can also easily run on various types of fuel, petrol, LPG and even hydrogen. Mazda's pure electric vehicle is set for launch late next year, but the roadmap to production of the company's rotary-based hybrids is less clear. The priority at the moment is making the powertrain more space efficient. Ford's next Mondeo might be powered by electricity, judging from a fresh trademark application lodged in Australia by the Ford Motor Company. The application for the name Mondeo Evos was lodged with the federal government's IP Australia late last month under its motor vehicle listings, along with the explanation that it is for motor land vehicles and electric vehicles. Similar applications were also lodged in the United States, the UK and New Zealand. The EVOS name fits with Ford's policy of badging all of its SUVs with names starting with E, such as EcoSport, Escape, Edge, Endura and Everest. The latest application in Australia was lodged by Ford's head office in the United States, indicating that the Mondeo EVOS will be part of a global product push, even though the name has been registered in just three right-hand drive markets to date. McLaren's latest all-new offering, the road-focused GT supercar, has landed in Australia ahead of an on-sale date of November, priced at a fraction under $400,000 plus on-road costs. Despite its considerable price tag, the GT is still the third most affordable member of McLaren's lineup, behind the entry-level 540C at $350,000 and the 570S at $395,000. While previous McLaren offerings have been clearly divided into three tiers, Sports, Super Series and Ultimate Series, the GT stands alone as a new model line suggesting more variants with the Grand Touring bent will be on their way in the future. The GT's engine cranks out 450 kilowatts of power and 630 newton meters of torque, making it more potent than all of McLaren's sports series offerings, including the 600 LT. And that has been the news. 
Ford Ranger has been a huge success for Ford in Australia. In fact, it is the leading sales model for the brand. More than all their other models added up, in fact. And they've just released a new variant of the Ranger. Rob Fraser tells us all about it. Sitting between the Ranger Raptor and the Ranger Wildtrak, Ford has released the imaginatively named Wildtrak X, with features such as exclusive 18-inch black alloy wheels, black wheel arch flares, black front nudge bar with an LED light bar, as well as a snorkel. Other features include AEB with pedestrian detection, adaptive cruise control, active park assist, and smartphone compatibility with Sync 3 and for both Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. There is a choice of either the latest generation 2.0-litre bi-turbo diesel with 10-speed automatic or the existing 3.2-litre turbo diesel with 6-speed automatic. Pricing starts at a touch over $65,000, plus options in the usual costs, and competes against the likes of the Toyota Hilux Rugged X. The ute market is certainly becoming more competitive. You're listening to Overdrive. Car sales have been down all year, and while July looked a little better than previous months, August has come with a thump. David Brown reports how the decline is hitting hard. New car sales recorded another slump in August, sidelining hopes that the previous month's more moderate dip signalled a turning point. Total sales for August came in at 85,600 units, which is a drop of 10% compared to August 2018. Based on an estimate of an average new car cost, this represents a reduction of over $3.5 billion in turnover just for one month. In percentage terms, there was a better performance for the manufacturers placed 21st to 30th in sales, which have on average declined 1.2% because of significant increases in players that are back on the market. MG, Ram, Haval and Great Wall. You're listening to Overdrive. I don't know if I'm getting a tad older, but I particularly enjoyed the test drive this week, which was a comfortable, easy-to-drive vehicle. And in fact, it was a beige Camry. Now, there used to be jokes about that, but I'm not sure that they're really appropriate now. Among other things, it was a hybrid, which made it very efficient, as well as being remarkably practical. And in that style of perhaps conservative, but at least one that makes you feel very much at home. Rob Fraser, our good friend and road tester, has also driven the vehicle. Rob, did you feel like an old man driving the Camry? Look, I had some hesitation about jumping into one because it's been a few years since I've driven one. But this new Camry and on the new platform and that hybrid motor is, it's an absolute gem. It's not just that, that plodding along, it's surrounds you with a, a, a sufficient amount of comfort. How did you find the engine performed? Well, with that sort of the hybrid style and, and the electric motors, it, it takes off so quickly from start, which is certainly the antithesis of what a normal Camry would be. Yeah. And it just, it, it hums along nicely, doesn't it? Indeed, Camrys, like most cars, have done rather well. Do you know, years ago, of course, it used to be the Mitsubishi Magna, that had the joke about, you know, is there room to put your bowls, you know, your lawn bowls set in the, in the back of the car? You know, I raced one. Yes. I went on a Dutton rally, which is full of Porsches and Evos and STI Subarus and that. And I used to take different cars. I went in a Prius one time, but I took along 
a Magna. And when I took it to scrutineering, some guy with a bright yellow BMW looked at me and said, so you lost the bet. <laughs> it was a rally art version. And in fact, in one event, we came third out of a 40 or so car, so, which was the Skid Pan S. So it wasn't without its pleasure. In fact, I think in some ways, do you feel that perhaps their reputation is a bit undeserved? I think in this new vehicle, absolutely. There's a, a swath of new platforms that are coming through a lot of vehicles and they're, they're changing the dynamics of them. And the Camry is exactly one of those. Like it, it drives nicely. It's so quiet inside. It sits beautifully on the road and, and it's comfortable and it goes well. Do you know what I, I love about the hybrid? It might only be 100 metres in the morning. There's no engine sound. It's nice for the neighbours if you're leaving early in the morning, but it's also not one that impinges on my brain that is desperately trying to get up to speed. Yes. <laughs> I just like that gentle way to start the day. This is, is, oh, I should be in marketing, shouldn't I? Yes, you should be. I don't think you talk enough for that, but... <laughs> 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 you probably could have used 300 words instead of 100 if you were describing that in marketing. Oh, I thought you were having a go at me. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but the thing I like about the Camry is it's had that, that sort of smooth progression. Actually, just once the engine kicks in, it just keeps going. It's not absolutely raucous, but gee, it's plenty. Yeah. And even surprising for what you might have expected from the car. It's a, it's, it's a big car now. It's really taking the place and dominating its market, but taking the place of what Commodores and Falcons used to be. And uh, I think I may have mentioned it before, and people that sort of heard me or read some of my stuff know that I'm not the biggest fan of the, the electrification of vehicles, but that Camry hybrid just changed my opinion totally. They're being used for taxis, they're being used all over the place, and they do absolutely dominate the market. I mean, it was a market that had Ford Mondeos in it as well. That wasn't a bad car. No, it was a good car. And, and I think that's the, the, the sad part about the way the market is changing in some ways because of this never-ending surge towards SUVs. Vehicles such as the Camry or such as the, the car that I actually just went on the launch for, the Peugeot 508, mm. are beautiful cars. Yeah, the Peugeot 508 is a beautiful car. It looks nice. It rides beautifully. I can't talk too much about it because there's an embargo on it. Yep. But it's Peugeot back to its best. Maybe next week we might dabble with a little bit of information on that. But Absolutely. I think a lot of car companies have done well, but the solidness of the Toyota image and their product has been a juggernaut that's been hard to turn around. Yeah. Very much so. And I have to admit, there was a time when I was much younger in our family, we actually owned seven Toyotas. Is that right? Yeah. Every car in the family was a Toyota. Okay. I knew someone who was the same with Commodores. Yeah. She worked for us for a while. I lent her a Honda Legend, and she described it for her and a family, or more for a family, she described it as an epiphany. Yes. <laughs> well, they were a good car, the Honda Legends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go again, isn't it? An upmarket, prestige sort of car, not into the luxury category, but still very, very good. It's funny, I just today picked up a Honda Civic RS. Oh. And I've only, only literally just driven it from Sydney to home, so two and a half odd hours. But it, it itself is a beautiful car, quiet, smooth, just enough acceleration. And, yeah, it, it's it's like that sort of Honda-type 
from a few years ago where they've really started to come back on, on track again. Honda used to be you'd get in the car and think, well, is it much? And the more you drove it, the more you liked it, the more yep. it filled a feeling that you perhaps didn't expect at the beginning, but it ultimately achieved. Yeah, they, they've got a bit of coming back to do, and I, one hopes that they're on the way. Yeah, well, look, if the, if the Civic is anything to go by and their, their recent CRV model, I, I think they definitely are. All right, mate. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thank you, David. Rob Fraser, who is from the website anyauto.com.au, as well as writing about the great outdoors in osroma.com.au. Go to our website to have a look at any of those details. This is Overdrive across Australia. Citron's a name synonymous with a proud history and with innovation. In recent years in Australia, it's had a bit of a rocky journey, but this started to turn around recently with vehicles such as the C5 Aircross. Rob Fraser's just spent a week in one. The French are different. They think differently and live differently to Australians. And this comes through in the C5 Aircross design. In a world that is often same-same for mid-size SUVs, the C5 Aircross brings a fresh approach and a bold, muscular design and a surprising 230mm ground clearance. Inside, the quirky French design continues with an elegant transmission lever, functional yet stylish 12-inch digital instrument cluster, an 8-inch centre screen touchscreen, and the seats are supremely comfortable. The ride itself harks back to the famous hydraulic suspension with ground-breaking progressive hydraulic cushions. The ride is equal to anything on the market. Add to this a number of clever pieces of integrated safety and comfort technology and for around $44,000 plus the usual costs, you can buy something that's just a little bit different to the normal. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, our roving reporter who's often out and about in this great country of ours, out in the sticks, sometimes in the bush, sometimes in the city. But he has been testing the Ram 1500 Ute. And one of the key features in marketing this vehicle has been that it tows four and a half tons. On the line we have a Rob. Rob is four and a half tons all that there is to know about towing. People love the headline figures, and four and a half tonnes certainly is a fairly hefty weight. But again, you get that by changing the diff ratio on the vehicle, which also changes your economy and your top speed and all that type of stuff. But mostly, most people who buy that vehicle will go for the three and a half tonne vehicle, I guess you'd call it, the three and a half tonne diff ratio. Which, of course, is pretty well the top of the range for most other utes that are about the Ranger and the Navara and so on? Well, it is, actually. And to be honest, having spent a fair bit of time towing and teaching people how to tow, etc., I'm always one that says you want to have a fair degree of excess capacity. You don't want to be right at the edge because that just puts a lot of strain on everyone, including the driver and the vehicle. It was interesting. I was at a, a car launch just last night, and the person sitting next to me was talking about they're buying a caravan, they're selling their camper trailer, and they're going to set up their vehicle for towing. And... Just started doing a few things, you know, chatting about a few things. And here's a person who is in the automotive industry, more so in the normal car side, yes. I mean, he's a mechanic. When we started talking about the specifics of towing, he just gave me this very blank look. What would be an example of some of the things you highlighted? Up until this now episode he's going through, he's been towing a camper trailer, a very light camper trailer on road. He's now swapping to a two-plus-ton caravan. 
Now, the dynamics of those two things you're towing are, are totally different. Mm. And, you know, you've got one where the, the trailer will just simply follow along behind the car. But if you're towing two plus tonnes behind the car, often the tail can wag the dog. What can he do about it? The one thing I spoke to him about was the load distribution hitch. And there's a couple of little things. One, you need to make sure that your tow ball rating on your vehicle matches the, the tow ball rating on what you are towing. The best way to do that is to, to load up the, the caravan as you're going to tow it, take it along to a, a weigh bridge and get them to weigh the, the tow ball weight on it. Because that, you know, what is uh, described by manufacturers is often very different to what the reality is. And people buy these things and think, oh, it's only got a tow ball rating of 160 kilos. And when you actually measure it, you know, you're 280 plus or something. And that makes a huge difference to how the vehicle handles the weight behind you. And so that was the first thing I suggested to him. The second thing was to investigate some load distribution hitches. And what that does is it spreads, it, it evens out the, the weight between the caravan and the car. It, it makes the, the level so you don't have that dip between the car and the caravan that you see so often as you're driving along. Mm. So when you're looking at it, it's a very nice level sort of approach and it, and it evens out the pull of the caravan throughout the entire vehicle. And what it does is it stops a lot of the sway and movement of the caravan. And that's what I'm talking about, the tail wagging the dog. How often do you see a, a, a caravan swaying behind a car? In the worst case scenario, you actually see caravans flip over because they just go too far. You can't control them. Well, they get a whip effect up, don't they? Absolutely. Some cars, I think even the Ram is an example, we're not just talking about that though, has a certain amount of within its stability control. Can that help? stopping the sway of a caravan you're towing? It does. There's a number of, especially the utes, they have a trailer sway control built in, and that does help by use of the brakes through the vehicle actually help stop the the, the trailer swaying. Again, it's something that's an adjunct. I wouldn't say replaces a load distribution hitch. I'd say it's an extra safety feature on top. Yeah, you don't want to rely on it totally. No. It doesn't make you invincible, I guess, is the point you're making. And I guess that can be affected by the amount of and the way you pack things inside the caravan. Oh, absolutely. You can change the amount of weight on that front hitch by the way you pack the caravan. And a lot of the caravans are designed where they've got, if they've got dual water tanks, they'll have one in front and one at the rear of the axle. They'll often have the kitchen sitting over the, the axle in the caravan itself rather than on the front. People don't, they buy these caravans, but they don't really go through any sort of training program to actually do it. Now, you need to have a different license to drive a truck or anything that's more than four and a half tonnes. You need to go and get a medium rigid license, which is a whole completely new education process for them. Yet you can buy a Land Cruiser or a Ram and stick three and a half tons on the back of it and be five and a half or six tons and still tow on a normal driver's license hmm. without any experience. On Osroma, have you got a list of things? We've got a certainly number of articles about um, towing, but from my conversation last night, I actually am going to write a guide to towing in the very near future <laughs> because his one comment was, he said, I can't find anywhere I can get all this information that's in your head in one place. And I said, well, you will soon. All the information that's in your head. Oh, you mean about towing? It could be a very short book, David. <laughs> All right, mate. Listen, uh, that's lovely. That's uh, very helpful. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, pleasure.
And that was Rob Fraser, who does a lot of outback touring and uh, caravanning and camping. And, of course, he writes the website Ozroma, O-Z-R-O-A-M-E-R dot com dot A-U. This is Overdrive across Australia. Okay, very quickly then, let's just touch on the subject. Brian, you have a a heritage vehicle. Sort of. Toyota Land Cruiser is releasing next year a heritage edition, and it seems the biggest heritage element, which I can't really understand, is that it's reduced three seats out of the vehicle. Uh, The the current Toyota Land Cruisers go up to an eight-seater. This will only seat five, and uh, it's. I think this is just them realising that they didn't redesign the car, that it's looking quite old and, and perhaps they're going for heritage. So they are having some vintage Land Cruiser badges on it, but most of the rest of the um, the sort of offer is, is pretty bog standard. 5.7 litre V8 engine, that's what we ah. need in 2020, isn't it? Mm. 3% of the sales in Australia are the petrol engine. Yes. Well, maybe that's the old part. See, the thing about it is SUVs started as four-wheel drives, which had a tough image. They then morphed into the kids' taxi, with seven seats being almost obligatory in the bigger ones. But now maybe they're trying to get their bit back to saying, to hell with the kids, it's me and I'm tough. Now, the Audi Q8 I tested the other day at the launch, and it had only five seats. It was slightly smaller in some dimensions than the Q7, but it looked a bit more edgy and a bit more tough and so on. So maybe the real key thing here, although I find that the Toyota is still boring in its looks, is to try and say, this is for me not to serve. I don't think there is, but maybe there should be a sticker on the back saying, no baby on board. Yeah, mm. okay. Mm. Well, it's only 1,200 being released, so... Mm. Yeah. So, David, I think someone will still use it to, to drive the kids to school. Mm. That might be right. But, uh, I mean, it is old style, no diesel. We know diesels are getting a bad image. Perhaps it pollutes... I noticed that uh, a review was done by the Car Connection and it talked to likes, myth, the, the truck and the legend, that's lovely, climbs anything, ample power. The dislikes were it guzzles fuel, it's very expensive, it guzzles fuel, it's not well sorted to suburbia, <laughs> and did we mention that it guzzles fuel? <laughs> Brian, lovely to talk to you. Let's catch up again next week. As always, David, a pleasure. And that's Brian Smith, and here on Overdrive, we're talking some quirky news. And this has been Overdrive. I'd like to thank David Campbell, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for making this show possible. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And, of course, our Facebook page is Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.